So every year, I feel like God gives us a word for the church. Last year, and listen, when, when I say that, it's not like, you know, it's just for the year. It's, it's a challenge each year that God gives that I hope sticks with us um, in our thought process for the rest of our life. Last year, we talked about being effective and what does that mean and, and, and not viewing things through having to be successful, but being effective because success is, uh, it's, it's objective. My success is different than your success. But effective has a value to it. We know something is effective by the fruit of what was done. And as, I, as our year kind of came to a close, and, I, and I'm praying, I'm God, where is our direction? Where is our purpose for 2024 as a church? Uh, a, a word came to my heart, and I was like a little kind of thrown back about it, only because it's, it's kind of got a... I don't, it's kind of got a negative connotation to it. Uh, it's, if you, when you hear the word deconstruction, there is this, this, this vibe, if you've, you know, from, especially from 2020, it became very catchy uh, because the, uh, and, I, and I'm not trying to be political, I'm just trying to be real, the, the liberal side of things uh, in our politics and, and in our social environment started to talk about deconstructing politics, started to talk about deconstructing, you know, you hear words like deconstruct gender, right, uh, or sexuality, and, and you're like, whoa, what does that mean? Why are we deconstructing anything? Um, and it became this, uh, this word that was taken by, an, uh, by a side and used. And as God gave me this word, I kind of wrestled with it because I'm like, I don't want people to think that we're coming from a political or social, uh, social viewpoint of this, but I want to talk about deconstruction from a spiritual side of this, okay? So to give you a little bit of background on deconstruction, deconstruction is a term coined originally by a French philosopher, uh, uh, Jacques Derrida, almost sounds uh, Spanish a little bit at the end. It describe, he, he, the way he describes it is the revealing of our hidden assumptions about the world, Okay, the uh, revealing our hidden assumptions about the world. Deconstruction was the process of learning to examine the glasses through which we see the world. And it can happen in the context of philosophy, religion, or worldview. Uh, it was a, it, it's so confusing that when you look up deconstruction and you study it, that it's almost like one of those, uh, what came first, the chicken or the egg? There's really never an answer. There's just a whole lot of questions. And, you know, that's why they'll say, well, what is true? So philosophers and um, worldview uh, uh, brainiac people that actually teach in deconstruction, because it's actually a study, and you can teach uh, Yale and Harvard and all those bigwig places, they, they actually teach on deconstruction. And it, in essence, it's to ask enough questions but not get enough answers. It is to say there is no such thing as absolute truth. And that everything is open for interpretation if you just ask the right questions and you dig deep enough. And so that's why this word kind of has this negative connotation because from a philosophy standpoint, it is to say question everything and there's no such thing as truth. But when it started to become a big uh, catchphrase from 2020 on, the church started to get a hold of it and two, two sections kind of got a hold of it in the church. There was the deconstruction of faith. Okay? And what you got was pastors and churches and, and Christians that would say, is God real? 
And are we doing this the way that we need to be doing it? And they, and they took that and they went left field. They went so far, they started to in, in, invoke God's name and likeness and person into things that are not of God. They started to, uh, you got churches that are, are, would, would invoke social issues, bring it into the church and, and stand on the side of the societal standard and call it God because they were deconstructing their faith. And then you had this group that said, okay, let's take this idea of deconstruction and let's use it in a way that actually benefits the church. Because so many times in our life, we just take whatever a pastor says or a podcast says or, oh, well, they're a leader, so they did all the studying, so I'll just trust them. And can I tell you that not every pastor speaks truth and not every person that has a mic is deserving of the mic and not every person that says they know something knows something. And the problem is, is that we then eat it up and we go, well, I heard it or I read it on Google. <laughs> can I tell you Google and or Wikipedia is not fact? I can go and change anything I want in Wikipedia. You know that, right? Like if you go on Wikipedia, you can actually edit Wikipedia. It's... <laughs> So maybe tomorrow I'm going to go make myself the general of, you know, some army in some faraway land and just see how, far, how long it takes people to realize that. You know, you can, you can change truth. You can change what people think. And, and so Google and Wikipedia and, and just because you listen to a podcast where somebody said that they knew this, you know, I, I think it's always funny because when it comes to Christianity, people go, well, yeah, well, that's not what the, you know, when, when, when I looked, when I studied that, or I heard a podcast and they said that that's not what the word says. And I'm like, okay, let's go there. Did you study? My, my number one question is always this. And if you ever get to me on this, this is the question I'll first give you. Did you study it yourself? Because I don't care what somebody told you. It may be true. It may be wrong. There are times where I may something that may be where you may not understand it or you may not agree with it. That's okay. I'm human. I'm going to flaw at times, okay? And, and so the reality is, is that I know that I'm not going to speak 100% truth all the time, and that's not by my own doing. It's because I'm human. And so I may say something that maybe isn't completely in line with 100% truth, and it won't be on purpose, but I'm human, and so the church started to look at this, and this, I found this uh, description from uh, a Christian viewpoint of what the church should look at the word deconstruction as. It says, for our purposes, applying the term to Christian faith, we can define this deconstruction as the process of taking apart and examining an idea, a tradition, a practice, or a belief to determine its truthfulness, usefulness, and impact. That is an amazing description of what we should be doing as believers. You should not trust everything that comes out of my mouth for just blank value or any other pastor. I don't care if they're a mega church, Craig Groeschel, Stephen Furtick, Timothy Keller. Um, I can give you a thousand lists of, of, of great, amazing pastors, David Platt. I love all of them. Shouldn't trust all of them, just carte blanche. Why? Because they're human. They are not God. And so there's going to be things that there's things that I disagree with that Stephen Furtick has preached. I still like him as a pastor. There's things that, that, that other pastors that I used to read tons of their books and I go, ooh, you deconstructed your faith straight out of the church and yet you still preach. 
I'm not going to name their names. If you want to know, maybe we can have a conversation later. But the reality is, is that deconstruction has to be a way that we go back to the core values of finding out what in Christianity holds truth, holds usefulness, and impact. In other words, we're looking at what we have been told and processing, processing that through Scripture. Okay, um, so speaking of Scripture, let's kind of look at what the Bible says. 2 Timothy 2, verses 15 says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightfully handling the word of truth. This one scripture could be a whole message in and of itself because you could break down each and every aspect of this. The the fact that it says, do your best. Do your best. One of the worst lines that I hear Christians say is, well, but they. I don't care who they are, and I don't care what they are doing. Are you doing your best to present yourself to God? I don't care if, if every person in Christendom said, well, you know, we're just going to go this way. There are, there, are, there are churches and organizations that are literally being split down the middle because of stupid things like gender fluidity. And if you leave this church because I say that there's only two genders, bye. It's not that I hate the person that thinks otherwise. I love them. But they're blind to the truth. And not even just God's truth, science. <laughs> like we want to say trust the science, and then yet when science says there's two, we go, now well, hold on. Trust the word of God that it says this. And we've got literally organizations, denominations of churches splitting over that. In the beginning, he created male and female. I mean, I don't know how many more truthful ways that we can speak that. And the problem is, is that we... We want to create atmospheres where God's truth is spoken, but also in the same way where those people feel like they can walk into church and experience God in a real and genuine way. And so we've got to love them, yes, but we are not catering to a belief system. And when the church starts to cater to a belief system, instead of showing them a true value of God's word and God's love for them, because a lot of times it's the lie that they believe that just makes them feel like they belong to something, because that's all they're looking for. They're looking to belong to something. And so if if it means belonging to a lie, then they'll belong to a lie as long as they feel belonged. It's why gangs are so valuable, right? Because somewhere along the line, they didn't have a family and somebody created a value system to say, we will be your family. This block will be your home. This area will be your home. And and I don't care, it's it's not a race thing, It's, 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 it's it's a culture thing where we are wanting to belong to something, and when it comes to the church, and we're going to talk about this in two weeks, about community, why it's so important to not be a full circle community, but be an open community where people can feel like they can walk in and feel loved and accepted, to be, uh, to feel like they belong somewhere, and that they have found a home that is going to challenge them, encourage them, equip them, and change them by the word of God. But to get there, you have to know, you have to know the truth, not the pastor. I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I know the truth. I've studied God's word. 
My goal as your pastor, as your leader, is not to spoon feed you truth, but it is to lead you to a place where you are excited about finding the truth out for yourself. So the question is not whether we will deconstruct, but what will we deconstruct? Andre Henry writes this, deconstruction has always been a part of Christian practice and has been seen through history as a healthy expression as of Christian faithfulness. Martin Luther, did he not deconstruct with the 95 Thesis? When he went to the church and he nailed, and, and if you don't know this story, it's a beautiful story of when somebody, a leader in the church says, I've done had enough of the church being ignorant and stupid. Well, we can make it sound flowery, but really that's where Martin Luther sat. There was 95 things that he felt the church was doing ungodly like, and he wrote them down and he went to the church and he pounded a nail through the piece of paper and he stuck it on the wall and he said, here's to the church leaders, get it right. And they kicked him out. Where do you think we get the Lutheran church from? It's not that Martin Luther hated the church. He hated what the church had become because the church had become a untruthful. They were using their power and authority to get rich. And anytime an organization's number one goal is money or power, they will lose sight of God's purpose and plan. We will, listen, we will never be a church that is so focused on money that we forsake God's plan. I will, I will forever have a second job I will forever do whatever I can, and, and we will do whatever we can as a church in order for God's purpose to be taken place, not so that we can be a, 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 a store of the finances. We will always use that money to reach people for the cause of Christ. We will always be about our community first, because it is not my will, but it's God's will. It's not my power, but it's God's power. And so we run as a team and we run as a unit. And this is Martin Luther. He says, listen, I'm done. And they kicked him out. And so he went and he took what he loved about the church and he gathered people. And that's where the Lutheran denomination came from, right? We've got people like David, who was a king who, who constantly was, was going, ah, but are we doing it God's way? Is this really what God would want? Or are we just going through the motions? Martin Luther King Jr., Facing the, the, the struggles of racism and the struggles that America had uh, at that time. Saying, is this really where the church is going to stand? That we're going to be quiet and our voice is going to be silent on, on, on big things like race. Because, because we're afraid that people may leave or people won't like what we have to say. You know, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., one of his biggest supporters was Billy Graham. And did you know that Billy Graham got hate from a lot of white people and a lot of white churches wouldn't ask Billy Graham to come in and speak because he would stand be, uh, behind and beside Martin Luther King Jr.? Where does the church go wrong when we start to look like the world? And so this word isn't an evil philosophical word. It's a word to challenge us to say, hey, listen, maybe not everything we believe is biblical. Maybe everything you thought about Christianity isn't what it is. And maybe there are things in your life that you have just heard your whole life and you need to ask the question, does this hold value in the word of God? Does this hold value with Jesus? Is this trust, truthful, useful, and impactful? Okay, so we're gonna look at a kind of the scripture that's gonna be the basis for this. And then I've got three thoughts. I'm gonna try to do this in a timely manner. Everybody pray for me. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 17. 
Because of God's grace to me, this is Paul speaking, writing to the church in Corinth. It says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have. Who? Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of material, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy. And I love this. And you are that temple. God is not about the business of building physical buildings. He's about the business of building moving temples, us. And so your foundation sets your whole faith journey up. You can't build a strong faith on a bad foundation. You can't build a valuable life on a bad foundation. Over the next course of the weeks, we're going to look at some, uh, we're going to kind of give you this example of, you know, think, think about foundations. Think about our house, right? If your house had a bad foundation, your house would not stand very long. When me and Stephanie bought our rental property, um, there was a corner of the living room that was soft. I didn't think too much of it because there was all this heavy stuff in the corner. I was like, well, you know, it's probably just, you know, some plywood that needs to be changed. It's on a pier and beam system. And so once we finally got all the kitchen stuff moved into the kitchen, I was like, you know what? I'm going to kind of look at this corner. And when I mean soft, I mean like it was soft. Like, I mean, it was kind of trampolining. And uh, so I started to rip up the, the subfloor and realized that five of my cross beams were completely rotted out. That's not my house. I'm not living in it. So I could have easily just, oh, let's just add another section of subfloor. Maybe make it less spongy. But the right thing to do was to tear out the subfloor to tear out the bad wood that was causing the foundation to be bad and to scab in and to, to put new wood in to make it a solid foundation. Now, the funny part about this is, is this, is that um, Brooke and Blake, they, they rent our, uh, our house there. And, uh, <laughs> and I think it was like less than a month before they were supposed to move in. And they walk in. Now, I hadn't met Blake yet. I met Brooke like one time. And they walk up to the house and I am chest deep into subfloor and they're supposed to move in in like three weeks. They walk in and I look at them and I'm like, this is not how I wanted to meet you. But the reality is, is that had I not done that, eventually they would have fell through the living room floor. We'd have had bigger issues because I'd already, I would have laid down flooring. I would have had to mess up the walls. I would have had to kick them out of their house while I fix it. And so many times, we ignore the things in our life that are spongy, that don't look right, that don't feel right, that, that are still not where God wants it, and we ignore it and just go, well, hopefully I won't fall through the floor, and hopefully life won't get really that bad. 
Instead of taking the time and saying, hey, maybe, maybe, just maybe I need to stop and ask God to invite him in and and deconstruct some of this thought process and, and some of these things in my life. Maybe I need to get healthy in some of these areas of my life so that I can build on a better foundation. And so the first thought that I want you to hear is that you've got to recognize what your foundation is, and the foundation is Jesus. Everything begins and ends with Jesus. If your life doesn't begin and end with the thought process of Jesus, then you've got areas in your life where your subfloor is compromised. Is Jesus the foundation of your family? Is Jesus the foundation of your finances? Is Jesus the foundation at your work, in your friendships, in your relationships? Is Jesus the foundation of how you view social media, entertainment? Don't go there. Come on. That's, that's, just, that's just fun stuff, is it? The Bible says that the, 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 the eyes are the gateway to your soul. What you see changes your soul. So is it really just entertainment? Or, or is the foundation... Now, listen, the, when, I think sometimes when, when, people, when people hear that, they go, oh, so you just want us to watch VeggieTales, huh? Listen, first of all, there's nothing wrong with VeggieTales. Oh, where's my cheeseburger? Listen, don't, don't think that a grown man won't find some veggie tales on YouTube, okay? And sing some songs. But the reality is, is no, I'm not saying that we need to just listen to veggie tales or watch veggie tales or just watch The Chosen or, or be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But it's that we need to know that if the foundation is Jesus then it's not just is it entertaining, but is it edifying? And what I mean by that is, is listen, you're going to watch some things with, with some language, but that's just the reality. There's a lot of things, the most things you can't even watch nowadays without some language in it. But do you watch it with vulgarity? And, and it, it's, it's, it's hard to draw that line, Right? And, and really, that's a, that's a personal thing that you got to truly invite Jesus into. Because some people don't need to watch anything with vulgarity because they haven't learned to train their mouth yet. And so what they hear, they will say. And what they see, they'll do. And as you get closer to Jesus, first of all, some of those things just aren't even valuable anymore and you don't want to watch anymore. And the things that do stick around no longer uh, will have uh, a, a massive impact. Like I can watch a, a White House down with a bunch of shooting and there's some cussing a little bit or whatever. But at the end of the day, like I'm watching it because I love a good America story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like America triumph. You know, I'm not watching eight mile <laughs> with, oh, I just totally dated myself with Eminem. Some of y'all are going, what is that movie? Don't watch it. It's horrible. Even if you like hip hop, it's horrible. There's just too much in it that is it. But we try to separate Jesus from entertainment. And the reality is, and I've said this before, Jesus is with us everywhere we go. And so if Jesus is with us everywhere we go, then everything we say, do, and see, Jesus sees and knows and does. And at some point, we are telling Jesus, this is more valuable than you. So is Jesus the foundation of everything, or do you try to just keep him in? I'm not trying not to preach Cole's message because I've talked a little bit about uh, his message uh, next week. He's speaking, um, uh, but do we try to confine him to just certain bedrooms of the house? 
Is Jesus the foundation of everything you do? Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It says Jesus is the cornerstone. And if you know anything about uh, cornerstone, and it's a really interesting term because in the, in, in the building of a building, especially back then, there would be a, 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 a stone in the corner that literally, if you took it out, the whole place would crumble. And what, what the Jewish uh, people were doing at that time was they're saying, well, Jesus, doesn't, Jesus isn't the Messiah. And they're saying, listen, in other areas of the Bible, in, in the gospel, it says that this is the cornerstone which you have rejected, talking to the Jewish people. But now I'm speaking to us as the church. Have we neglected Jesus in areas of our life being the foundation of our life and saying, I don't need you here. I want you in my finances. I don't want you in my friendships because if, if, if that's the case, then maybe, just maybe, I'll have to forgive people that I'm holding anger against. I don't want you in my marriage because I want to be right. I, I want to win the battles. And if Jesus is in the middle of it, he's going to tell you things like, hey, dummy, go and ask for forgiveness. Hey, dummy, say you're sorry. Hey, dummy, say I love you, even when you're angry. And don't go to bed without saying I love you. You know, the Bible says don't, go to, uh, don't let the sun set on your anger. There's a whole message in that that doesn't mean that you can't go to bed angry, but don't let the angry dictate how you love people. Even when you're mad with your spouse, don't hold that anger as hostage and not say I love you. Because what happens if in the middle of the night something happens and you're going, I held my I love you because I was mad. Nothing is more valuable. And when Jesus is the foundation, you'll get over your pride and your arrogance and your, your, your humility and, and you'll do those things because God will be speaking to you. Jesus has to be the foundation. As Christ is the cornerstone of the structure, the temple, which he already said is us, he's building you cannot build a house for God that you try to squeeze Jesus into the mix. Well, I'm going to keep doing whatever I want to do, and I'm just going to throw, I'm going to sprinkle a little Jesus juice in there. <laughs> Some of y'all are going to be like, I'm, yo, yeah. But think about it. How many of our lives, we just, we, we come to church, man, we, we, we experience a, a real, genuine, authentic moment with Jesus, and then we go and we live our life, and instead of allowing God to speak to us and change us and, and actually move us into an image of him, we just try to throw a little Jesus into the mix of the things that we're already doing. Oh, God, I don't need to change my, 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 my thought process. I just, I just need a little more Jesus on Sundays. That's why you still cuss out people on Wednesdays. That's why you still let anger to get the best of you on Monday. That's why depression and anxiety is still so uh, threaded through everything you do because you have tried to throw Jesus in the middle of anxiety, and that's not how this works. Jesus overcomes things. He doesn't get in the middle of it. And it may take time, and it may take therapy, and it may take a community of people loving you through it, but Jesus doesn't come to sit in the middle of mess. He comes to overcome it. 
And so you could throw Jesus in the middle of it and go, I don't understand why it's not working. God must not be real. Church must be a fake. No, it's because you haven't submitted your life to the foundation of Jesus. Some of us, if not all of us, need to take the beginning of the year and reevaluate what the core of your life is. 13 years I did youth ministry. 13 years dealt with teenagers. Hundreds, if not thousands, throughout the course of my life. More like thousands, probably tens, closer. And that's not a brag, it's just a reality of 13 years plus of doing youth ministry in churches where we had over 100 kids coming on Wednesday nights. And we had, I was doing camps where there was hundreds of kids every year. And for the life of me, Probably to the day that I die, I will never understand the idea of popularity. And some of you may go, well, it's probably because you weren't popular. That's not true. As you can tell, I'm a talkative person. I think I'm well-liked. So I could, I could, I could mold and, and, and manipulate myself into any circumstance with any group. Jocks to the drug addicts. I told you all that my freshman year, I hung out with the people that tripped on acid behind the principal's office. That doesn't scare me. I didn't do it because I, uh, I knew better. I had to go home. And I, I valued my life. The last thing I needed to do was see the purple mushrooms in my principal's office and my dad come back and snatch the life out of me. Oh, I was offered it every day. They would, they would, they would bring alcohol in, in, in Coke bottles, cigarettes and weed and acid and, and the little the mini M&M bottles. <laughs> So people go like, well, you've been a Christian too much of your life. Yeah, but listen, I've experienced, listen, I deal with people all day long that don't do right. That's my job. I know what an idiot looks like. I know what, I know what you're trying to fool me looks like, but here's the reality of it all. Is that what I've told teenagers for the course of 13, 14, 15 years of speaking to them is that popularity fades. And when you graduate high school, nobody cares about where you ranked or what, uh, how popular you were or whether you were the top jock. They don't care if you went to college on a, a football scholarship. They don't care who you are. You will probably be friends with a handful of friends from high school for, uh, for the rest of your life. That's it. And so we spend so much of our life worried about where other people think. And then what does it do? It changes how we view life from 18 on. And now we're so focused on being liked and accepted in every environment that we go to, that we stop chasing purpose and we start chasing people. So God's will becomes too scary for us to walk in because what if people don't like me? We have to reevaluate and deconstruct things in our life to say, God, I am more worried about your purpose and plan for my life than what other people may say, think, or do. The next two thoughts are really quick. That was really the core of my message. But I want to kind of lead us into the next few weeks. And the second thought is this, is that renovation starts with demolition. <laughs> How many of that's your favorite part of any project when you have to do something? Like demo day, Chip and Joanne, like, I love me some demo day. You don't have to be careful. Like, just mark an X on something and let me take something to it. Give me a sledgehammer and a saw. Let me, let me, let me run through the wall. I don't care. I'm going to tear something out. I love Demo Day. Here's the funny part. As much as we love Demo Day on a physical level, we hate Demo Day on a spiritual level. 
You want me to take what out of my life, God? That wall's really comfortable looking there. I want you to make room for me. God, I, I think we, I think, listen, I like me some, some confined rooms, okay? We don't need to open concept. Demo day spiritually scares us. But listen, you cannot renew what you are not willing to tear out and tear down. And too many times in life, we want to have a spiritual mansion on a cottage foundation. God, I want this big house. I want you to have free reign. We will say things that sound so good in front of people. God, I want your purpose. I want your plan in my life. And God starts to go, okay, cool. Let's start tearing down some walls, some walls of your past. Well, you know, God, I've already got some uh, uh, pictures hung on that wall. I don't know about that. Yeah, but those pictures are, are, are of your past, of your past you, of the past hurts, of the past pains. Yeah, I know, but they're really comfortable. You know, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get rid of this, this, this pin out here for your, for your animals. I, I really like my animals, God. I know, but they're, they're your addiction animals, the things that you like to hold on to and pet every now and then when you get uncomfortable in life. See, the thing is about spiritual demolition is it's never the good things, you know, oh, I'm going to open up this, well, you know, open concept is a, is a big deal, you know, in most places. I'm going to open up that. We, we don't, we, in our house, we don't do open concept. We like, we like walls, okay? Um, but a lot of people do, man, I want to open this up. But they don't realize what happens when you have to open things up. And I've had to explain this to my wife sometimes when she says, I want to open this up. I said, in order to open things up, you have to make sure that it's structurally sound. So you want your life to look like God, then you need to make sure that it's structurally sound. Can the foundation hold what you want to put into your life? Can the walls hold the things that you want God to do in your life? Because if not, then you need to go back to the beginning and say, God, I need you here. God cannot add spiritually when you have habits that are not looking like him and you're not diving into his word and, and you're not in prayer, worship, good community growth. We need to, before we can add to, we need to learn to take away. We want to build in Jesus with our messy past life, our hurts, pains, addictions, sins, but God doesn't play well with our past. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament about uh, the God of Dagon. And uh, I'd have to go back and look up where it's at, but it's one of my favorite ultimate stories because they, they brought the temple of God into the temple of Dagon. They brought the Ark of the Covenant that held the, the, the presence of God into the temple of Dagon. And so they, they, they bring it in and they think they're just holding it up like a, like, a, like a trophy. Here we are. We've got God's presence and we brought him to our God. And they go away and the next day they come down and their God has fell, uh, fallen down head first in front of the, uh, the, the Ark of the uh, Covenant. So they put Dagon, their little God, back up there and they walk away and the next day they come back but Dagon's head and arms are cut off. God does not play well with our little gods and our little past and our little hurts and our little pains. You will either give it to him, okay? That's one option, so that he can heal you, so that he can walk you through it. It's not overnight. Sometimes it is, but most times it's not. It is through a discipleship process. It is through a process of getting closer to him that he starts to weed out all of the hurts and pains in the past. Like so many times we expect God to do something like that, and so many times he is a slow process so that you have a good foundation, so we either give it to him, he takes it. <laughs> That's what he did with Dagon. He said, fine, you're going to keep me here. If you're going to invite me in, I'm going to mess you up. 
It's why people get really uncomfortable in God's presence when they've got sin in their life. Because where sin is and, and you're inviting God into, God will overwhelm you with those thought process and that emotion and that spiritual feeling of, I don't feel good and I don't feel right. And he will force your hand to make a decision or he will leave. <gasps> That's unbiblical. God said he would never leave me nor forsake me. Yes, if you follow him. You choose not to. You can play the church all day long, but you can't play God. You can show up to church every day for the rest of your life and not know Jesus and still go to hell. That's reality. It's not a scare tactic. Let me tell you, scare tactics only work if I have, if I have something to gain from it. I have nothing to gain if you go to hell. I have nothing to lose if you go to hell. I know where I'm going. I want as many people to go to heaven with me. It's a party. It's going to be amazing. That lie that I'm just going to go to hell and, and party with my friends? No, you're not. It is the absence of God's presence. It is absolute void of any good thing whatsoever. It has nothing to do with the burning. It has nothing to do with all of the things that the, the hell is described in the Bible. It is literally absent of all good. That, that emotion you get when you see a brand new baby? Gone. That emotion you get when you, when you fall in love, gone. That emotion you get when you get a raise, gone. You have no good in hell. I don't care. That sounds harsh. I do care. But there's no value to me whether you do or don't. I know where I'm going. My job, my my purpose and my passion is to tell people about the goodness of God so that you will have a life here that is valuable and that is forever, eternally changed in heaven. That's what I want. And I will do everything I can to lead people there, not just for eternity, but while we live here. Psalms 51, 10, and 12. So I skipped verse 11. If you want to read it, you can go read it on your own time. 51.10 says this, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. Verse 12 says this, restore, me, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Let me, let me put the word deconstruction this way. This should, let this year be the year of obedience. Let this year be the year of obedience. What areas of your life have you not given to God because of fear? Because to give him control means that you have to be out of control. <laughs> to give him complete control means that you have to be willing to maybe look foolish in, in front of people. You, you young folks, especially. I was 14 years old when I came to know Christ. We called everything under the sun for following Jesus. And I will take every name that I was called for the life of me to know that I had a purpose on my high school campus and I didn't waste my time. The greatest season of your life where people, you'll be around people. We waste it. I've watched juveniles waste their life making stupid decisions. Only get to an age where they go, I wish I could take it back. And yeah, guess what? You can't. 
You gave your time and energy to anything and everything other than God, the one that holds your soul and your living and your being. And you can't take it back, but what you can do is you can start to step forward. And that's for everybody, whether you're two or 200. So the last thought is this. This year, we're going to have to go backwards. Renovation starts with demolition. So the last thought is deconstruction is growth. I know I've said it, but can I tell you that in a healthy way, going backwards is growing. If you're going backwards with a purpose, it's growth. If you're going backwards because you refuse to move forward, it's not. But sometimes we have to go back to the foundations of things. I'm looking at Brooke and it makes me think of of softball. And she'll tell you, that if a, if, a, if a softball player has bad mechanics, you can't fix them by just adding to what they already do. You literally have to break the habit and start over. If they've got a bad stepping, then you've got to take them back to throwing from their knees so that they relearn how to step. You've got to retrain. And so spiritually, here's what I'm challenging you with. Maybe there's some things that you know. You've never, it's never sat well with you. You haven't ever created good habits or you haven't created a, uh, you haven't given God space in certain areas. Maybe this is the year where you stop and you give him space and you're intentional. Somebody, uh, I think it was Nancy, uh, said her, her word for the year was intentional. I loved it. It's one of my favorite words. Intentional. Not just going to go along with whatever happens but I'm going to stop and maybe I'm going to spend every Monday afternoon when I get home and I'm going to reevaluate my week and I'm going to reevaluate where I am spiritually. And then I'm going to tweak what needs to happen. Maybe before you get tomorrow starting, maybe you need to sit down and you need to say, God, reveal to me the things, create in me a pure heart. What does that mean? It means strip away the things that don't look like you and show me so that I can work on them. And maybe it's practical things like how you speak, Maybe it's how you think. The Bible says, take captive your thoughts. Maybe it is uh, Bible time, prayer time. Maybe it is your friend group and saying, you know what? Maybe I need to take a step back from certain things or certain people. Maybe it's how much, maybe it's not even what you watch. It's how much you watch. The time you give. I don't have time to sit in devotion for 30 minutes. But we binge watch, literally binge watch. Listen, if there's one thing that Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus have ruined, it's the ability not to get up and go do something. My wife was sick this week, so I can say this knowing that she was sick, so she didn't need to get up off the couch. But multiple times this week, I came home, and the TV was even concerned for her. Are you still watching? That's hilarious to me. Like, babe, even the TV's concerned for you. Now, she was sick. She didn't need to go nowhere. But how many times has the TV told you that when you're not sick? Because the enemy doesn't have to get you caught up in sin to get you caught up away from God. Let's deconstruct some of the things that we have hold value in and maybe go back to God and say, God, I want to look more like you. I want to act more like you. 
And so if it means growing this year spiritually in my life that I need to cut some things out, I need to get rid of some things, or maybe I just need to tweak how much I give to these things, then we're moving in the right direction. I think of the first scripture that we started with, study to show yourself approved, rightfully handling the word of God. When we look at the blueprint in front of us of life, we learn to go back to the foundation and build better. Now is the time to tear down. Tear down the rooms, the walls in our lives that don't line up with God's values and word to give us purpose and a plan to not let the enemy have a foothold and a bedroom in our house and to build on the foundation of Jesus. I want to end with a quote by a guy named Kurt. I don't know who Kurt is, but he said something really valuable. He says, I think the purpose of deconstruction is to take something apart and to see how it works. Any tweet? you know, little tweaker guys in here that like to just take, how many, as a kid, you just found a toaster and would take something apart and your parents were like, what the heck are you doing? Right, okay. So we like to take stuff apart, but I like what he says. The value in deconstruction is this. If you're not going to put it back together again and watch it go, then what's the point? Deconstruction for deconstruction's sake is pointless. But if you're gonna deconstruct your faith, to ask the questions, God, am I on the right foundation? Am I following you with all that I can, doing all that I can? Not perfect, but the Bible does say holy and blameless. How can I not be perfect, but I can be holy and blameless? Because you're covered by God's grace. The moment you make mistakes, but you turn back to him. The moment you, you say something or, or, or you go back to an old moment of yourself and you say, ah, oh, God, that's not who I want to be. God says, okay, I got you. You can be holy and blameless before him. So let's not use cliche words like deconstruction if you're not really going to do it. Don't do it. But maybe if you want to be with me and you want this year to be literally the best year of your life spiritually, then let's deconstruct our faith and say, God, where are you in all of this? And let's take it apart only so that we can put it back together looking more like him. Will you pray with me? Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and uh, Sharice, if you want to come and if you're sitting here this morning, and maybe you're like, oh, wow, that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot for a first message of the year. You're right. I, man, it's been sitting in me for weeks. But maybe you're sitting there, and you're going, you know what? That's me. Maybe you've been walking life on your own thinking you can handle it on your own. Do it by yourself. Do it all alone. Maybe today you recognize that you need a Savior. A Savior to come in and to reset your foundations and give you a purpose for life. If that's you, I don't, nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. If that's you in this place and you're going, I'm lost and I want you, Jesus, to be the foundation of my life. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. God sees those hands. Maybe you're saying, I have a relationship with God, but there's areas in my life that I haven't allowed him. I haven't allowed him to touch. I haven't allowed him to deconstruct. I haven't allowed him to, to have full authority and, to, and, and I'm trying to build this life on a foundation that is not secure in him. But this year, I want that to be this year. I want to give God complete control and to rebuild, deconstruct so that we can renovate right. Is that you? 
Would you raise your hand and, 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 and maybe say, you know what, this year is going to be the year that I allow God to build back my life the way that he wants it. That's you, just raise your hand. Amen. 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 God sees those hands. Amen. And Father, so I pray for both of you. These, these sets of people, God, those that need you to be their savior and those that of us that are saying we are going to ask for you to tear down so that we can build back your presence and your purpose for your plan. So God, start to do the work in us. Holy Spirit, come into our lives and, and, and speak to us in the still quiet times of our life. God, I pray that we would get intentional with time with you in prayer and reading our word and spending time with friends that are going to build our spirit up. God, that we would commit to you that every day we're going to take a step closer to your will and your purpose. God, we're asking for you. Come and deconstruct areas of our faith that maybe we believed or thought, maybe we just haven't spent enough time to care about. God, that your voice would speak louder than the world, speak louder than entertainment, speak louder than the hurt and the hate, the pains in our life. God, that you would be the healer, the miracle worker, the loving God. We give you glory and honor, and I pray, God, not just your blessing over these people, but God, your presence to go out and be a life-changing light to the world. Oh, that God, that the world may see us and know that you are good. That we would draw people back. Call people home. We love you, Father. We give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. 